Hi, I'm Michael Midpoint Tucker, and welcome to Beyond the Screenplay, the podcast where each week we do a conversational deep dive analysis into a film. Today we are talking about Top Gun, the 1986 film directed by Tony Scott, written by Jim Cash and Jack Epps Jr. I'm joined by the Beyond the Screenplay team, Trisha T-Rex Arand. Hello, everyone. Brian Geezer Bittner. Eh? And Alex Bounceman Cayeros. Don't tease me. <laughs> Wait, Alex, say hi. Hi. Wait till the danger zone. <laughs> I ruined, I did my oh, own great. attempt at a Brian joke and ruined Brian's Brian joke. Wow. How dare you? <laughs> All right. So we're going. We're flying already. So Top Gun. It's just like, yeah, it's so amazing. So I, yeah, have a weird relationship with this movie. I watched it a lot as a kid. Not really start to finish, but like my dad really loved watching this movie. And so it was just kind of always on. And so I'd like wander into the room and he'd be watching and I'd watch a little bit and like see the planes flying around and then people would start talking and I'd get bored and I'd like wander away, you know, me as a kid. Uh, And so I have this like weird love not hate relationship but just a very complex relationship where like my memory of it was there was some cool plane stuff but i never really understood what was going on in the plot and who were the bad guys and what what the hell was going on but like there was some cool plane stuff watching it again now my memory is pretty accurate that's kind of how i feel (laughs) yeah uh how i felt watching the movie so like young me uh yeah knew knew more about it than um uh, I thought, but yeah. So in in preparation for the new one that's coming out, I'm just really excited because my dad was into airplanes and fighter jets. I played a lot of like flight simulator games and had like different like joysticks. And I've like, I feel like I could fly a plane, you know, with like a little bit of like teaching. Sure. I think I could take over a little bit, just a little bit. Yeah, the I'm gonna use this like platform really quick because my dad was obsessed with two video games. He only ever played two, Tetris and then a game called Bogey Dead 6 uh, for the PlayStation 1. If anyone wow. else in the world has played this game, please let me know because he would buy buy them and then inevitably break them. And so he owned 10 or 12 copies of this game. And I'm pretty wow. sure they're the only copies of that game that ever sold. So I want someone <laughs> on the Internet to tell me. Hang on. How did he break them? I was very creative. Uh, I mean, mostly they were just like extremely scratched. Like you would okay. take them out to switch them and then like put them on things and be like, no, turn it over so you don't set it on the thing or put it in the case. It wasn't like anyway. rage quitting <laughs> no. many, many times breaking, over. Breaking controllers. No, he had the game shark to let him cheat so he could never die or run out of uh, missiles and stuff. Wow. So no rage quitting. Anyway, so like all of that is like in my head when I'm thinking about Top Gun of just like, yeah, fighter planes. Like I have this weird attachment to fighter planes, even though I've never been in one and wouldn't ever actually want to be in one because I don't want to die. But like they seem cool and they go fast. Yep. Anyway, and it's also they're in this movie because this is a movie kind of and it's a, a love story. It's like an early Tom Cruise, like breakout hit role. There's some really intense ups and downs in this. There's periods where the sound crew just like left, take my breath away, like on repeat. Like (laughs) it's just, there's so much in this movie that I want to talk about. Uh, But yeah, my arc 
rewatching it for this was this is insane and goofy and I can't believe that this is a movie. And by the end, I was like, but this movie kind of rocks. Like, I kind of love this movie. Uh, and I think there are some uh, script things that it does well that that help cement that and help make that turn happen that we'll get to. Um, but anyway, that's my complicated, like, opening statement on Top Gun. Uh, and I'm very excited for the new one because I want they put they just put IMAX yeah. cameras on the, the thing. They're gonna fly around. And Tom Cruise is like, yeah, it's gonna be great. <laughs> Trisha, tell me about your relationship with Top Gun. Yeah, I love this movie so much. Um, I think I must have seen this when I was about eight or nine years old. Uh, caveat slash explaining moment about it, which is that. I saw this um, probably around the same time in my life when I was just like getting really into movies. And most of the way that I got really into movies was watching them with my dad when they were on TV. And so the version of this that I saw as an eight or nine year old was obviously edited for television. And of course, then we taped it off of television. So we had, you know, the version that I rewatched over and over and over again was edited for TV. Um, And, you know, mainly is pretty like sanitized not that this movie is that edgy to begin with it's like certainly not but there's like a sex scene i don't think i had ever seen the mm. sex scene before because i don't know there's that a lot played... of tongue in that sex scene. <laughs> yeah i don't think the tongue was in the <laughs> version that i saw but it's not like there's nudity anyway right. um we can we can get back to that is the tongue not nude that's a whole that's a, anyway that's a, that's a separate conversation continue uh, who can tell it's all in silhouette and everything's blue um <laughs> But anyway, so I just, my my parents really love this movie and I just, you know, it's so exciting. Like, it's just one of those movies that taps into this, like, popcorn, like, I don't need to be told a story. I just want to watch cool stuff that, like, maybe lightly is a story with kind of, you know, this dashing protagonist who is flaunting the rules and yet everybody admits that he's, like, maybe the best pilot ever. Um, It's just, like, it's so... Uh, shallow in terms of its like thrills and its joys. Um, I don't know anybody like big planes go broom fast. Oh, I love it. Like that's how I feel when I watch it. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, and, and I still feel that way about it. Like I don't, you know, the intellectual half of my brain is like, wow, there are some things that uh, do not add up into like story theme (laughs) (laughs) theme yeah what is the theme of this movie no 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 no. (laughs) spoiler alert we won't be getting into any theme thematic conversations i I mean there's i think there's some interesting meta thematic Uh things that are happening (laughs) like the movie is in conversation with history uh real life history but like within itself i don't think the movie is interested in doing any of that um but that's okay like i think it's just you know i i think a lot of people who love this movie love it with um the same sort of degree of like unashamed like enthusiasm for like summer (laughs) <laughs> and <laughs> that, the that, idea that the of people, summer <laughs> sure that the people who made it also seem to feel right like the people who made it didn't didn't seem embarrassed about right. anything that they were doing um and that's 
that's kind of refreshing to watch now where it's like, you know, movies of movies after this time, even as early as the nineties, we're starting to get a little cynical about like Hollywoody things. Um, but this was like sort of at the last moment of that, where it was just like, you know, like, like Rocky two, like those mm-hmm. kind of, you know, big bombastic, like hyper masculine, like, like, let's just, go go fast punch hard like do um sort of very uh flattened portrayals of like what we might go to movies for um and 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 again in not in any way self-conscious about any of it and so it's so fun to watch this in sort of an unself-conscious way and just kind of let your hair down and be like oh my god the planes um and that's how i feel oh my god the planes <laughs> yep uh okay but so alex this was your first time watching it yes wow what was what's your first impression of top gun yeah i i don't know man um it it was it was such an interesting experience because i went on a journey where the opening sequence it was like okay this is what i expect this is this is cheesy 80s vibes everybody is really sweaty on this uh, aircraft carrier for some reason um the music (laughs) is danger zone right up front uh but you know good opening sequence in a lot of ways where it's like you you establish the protagonist as this you know as this maverick uh you establish uh the kind of the the stakes in some ways with this other pilot that can't cut it and almost dies. And uh, you have this early moment of characterization for Maverick of choosing to like disobey orders and guide him in. So it was like, okay, this movie is like doing movie stuff. And then the more it went on and they get to the Top Gun Academy and like, we just linger in certain scenes for really long periods of time. And yeah, take my breath away. Just the instrumental version and then the full version, the instrumental version again, and just like it's on loop. And I started to feel like I was hallucinating <laughs> and that I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell like if story was happening. It's like, okay, now they're back in the air and they're doing a training thing, but I don't know like what is happening right now. And like, I don't know where they are or what the stakes are, but like something happened. And like now Iceman is pissed about something. And so I just started to get really disoriented. The, movie, the more the movie went on in a way where I'm like, am I, dumb am i not am i not following it or is it not giving me the pieces i need to like form a coherent like a to b to c experience here so i just yeah i just got more and more disoriented and more and more adrift in just the what felt like the madness of this movie (laughs) (laughs) where we get to like the love scene and then and then after that and then and then you know then there were moments like goose dying I loved Goose. Like that was one of the characters that I was really into. And and I was like, okay, good. This movie is like going there. We're testing uh, Maverick. Wait, time out. So you were so blind to like the, the like universality of this movie that you didn't even know that was going to happen. Well, no, like I knew that was like likely to right, happen, but you didn't know but, like, but like, but I'm you ha- hadn't, like right. heard. I feel like probably, I've heard goose or heard a line that referenced right. goose in like tragedy, but I was not uh, like thinking of it actively. While, while Cause I'm jealous that you got to like, I, I, just watch this, like yeah. genuinely I mean, watch I, this movie for the first time. I assume something bad was going to happen to him. And then I was happy mm-hmm. that they went all the way. Um, mm-hmm. because then when they introduced the family, it's like, all right, here we go. Um, anyway, so 
I guess long story short, uh, it was like experience of like disorientation punctuated with like, oh, movie, like that's a movie scene that like is changing the course of the plot and like things are happening. But now he's back in the plane and uh, now there's like they're back in real life and there's like a conflict in the Indian Ocean. I don't understand any of the politics of this or what's even happening, but they're going to just shoot and kill all the enemy planes and it's over. So anyway, it just it was like a very uh, disorienting experience. I almost wish I'd watched it again to like follow the plot. I went and like read the plot synopsis on Wikipedia and I was like, oh, that's why it mattered in that one training session that Val Kilmer was like going slow. That was intentional. He was going slow because they were like competing for like best time, I guess. And that (laughs) you know, initiated Maverick to do a thing that got goose killed. But like none of that was like computing while watching the movie. So I was just a lot of confusion. Uh, and then of course, a lot of delight at just the, the hilarious homoerotic, just great, you know, all the things I did know about this movie were right. there and were delightful. And I would love to explore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if, if volleyball was what you were hoping yeah. for. I right. hope you were not let down. Well, and, and like it showed up in the scenes I didn't expect too. like the just the really strange, like almost on the nose, like lines uh, they just say to each other while like in a briefing room or at the bar or just like like this is there's something happening here. The, the looks that they're giving are not like necessarily like as competitive as they are like interested like i don't know it's really <laughs> i get why this movie has that reputation and it was fun to like just watch it from that perspective as well it's like so many scenes you didn't need to shoot in a locker room in towels like you didn't <laughs> right. need to shoot that scene where they're all like posing <laughs> yeah they're like I mean, posing like, in different areas it's a choice like but you didn't need to do it that way <laughs> Uh, wow. Yeah. Tom Cruise morning, like in his like tidy white yeah, right. as Tom Spirit comes in to. <laughs> well, because it's shot like you could have just shot that from like torso up, but they're like, nope, wide shot. Right. Nope. <laughs> I love it. What? Like, I just love everything this movie decided to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, and they're, yeah, a really interesting storytelling things that you're bringing up how it how it deals with time and conveys time or doesn't uh is something i definitely want to talk about but first brian bring us home what what are your thoughts on top gun yeah this was one of those movies that i thought i had seen uh <laughs> like i had the same thing with seven samurai where it was like when i when i watched it both these movies in the past few years it was like Oh, wait, maybe I haven't actually seen this. Maybe I just know so much about it through like osmosis, you know, Um, because I feel like I know so much about Top Gun. Like, and that's why I was asking you, Alex, like, I was like, oh, no, I know Goose dies. I know this. I know that. I know this line. I know this song. I know this other song. And then those two songs again. Uh, That's the end of the list. Um, And uh, (laughs) but then when I actually sat down to watch it, I was like, have I actually in my life watched this entire movie from beginning to end? Um, I saw Days of Thunder in the theater with my dad in, you know, 90 or whatever that was, which was their sort of follow up. Like, here we go. Tony Scott and Tom Cruise. We're going to make all the big movies. And then Days of Thunder went, you know, the way of (laughs) the way of Goose. Um, And uh, (laughs) but but yeah, I I do love Tony Scott. He makes wonderful two hour long music videos. And I, I kind of 
secretly want all movies to just be a music video. So I really enjoy that. <laughs> um, but yeah, watching it for the first time, or at least for the first time in 20 years, was really interesting. I was just really appreciating just how gorgeous it is, you know, how much is sort of practical and uh, just that opening the first like five minutes, just everything is beautiful. Um, and then there is, you know, it, there's like such this macho energy, but also it's so affectionate and unabashed, you know, and, and I just like really thought that was kind of beautiful. It's like Sam and Frodo energy, right? Of just like, we're going to just like hug hard <laughs> yeah. and like show how much we love each other. Um <laughs> It's like pre no home. Right, right. It's like, it's, it's like we're not like even worried right. about that. Um, but I did find, as you were saying, Alex, I was like, I don't really know what's happening at any point. Uh, like, it's like <laughs> this action scene is cool. And like, I understand these character dynamics, you know, um, between Maverick and Charlie or between Maverick and Iceman or whatever. I'm like, I get what's going on. I don't actually know what is happening. Like, I like, are there enemies right now? Or is this just training? This is training, but like this. Uh, so then I watched it a second time. Uh, and then it was really rewarding to watch it a second time where I like really understood what was going on with Maverick's father. I really understood, um, the sort of the things that they lay out in act one and sort of bring back in act two and then really pay off in act three, like all those little things as you were kind of talking about Alex. Um, so it was really, really, a, really rewarding to watch this movie once for just the top gun of it all and then watch it a second time to to really actually be like wait what the hell's going on <laughs> when are there actual enemies in the field when are there not when is it training when is it training but it's dangerous when is it training but it's fine you know that kind of stuff um because i think it's all there it just really is not interested in reminding you of what exactly is going right. on at any given moment right yeah. it can be very frustrating trying to send a large file and having it take a long time so if you feel the need the need for the fastest possible transfer speed, then you need to look into Massive. Massive is a file sharing service that lets media professionals quickly transfer terabytes of data to anyone in the world over the cloud. With Massive, there are no limits to the amount of data you can send, and Massive has 150 servers worldwide, which means whoever you're sending the file to will be able to download it at a maximum unthrottled speed. Transfers are encrypted, so no one but the sender and recipient can access the files. And sending files with Massive is super simple. You don't need a subscription to sign up or a complicated IT setup. Just pay as you go at 25 cents per gigabyte. To learn more and to sign up for Massive, head to massive.io slash beyond dash the dash screenplay. When you sign up at that link, you'll get 100 gigabytes free towards your transfer. That's massive.io slash beyond dash the dash screenplay for 100 gigabytes free. The link is in the show notes. Thanks to Massive for sponsoring Beyond the Screenplay. Now, back to the episode. Yeah, it is, it's a disorienting first watch, and I agree that it would have been good if, me, if, I, if I had time or desire to watch it again before this podcast, because I, I truly was quite lost during parts of the movie. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and like I said, as a child, that's how I remembered it being. And so, but watching it, <laughs> This time, I think I had the experience that you're talking about, Brian, where like I remembered enough that I knew we're in training mode. They're not actually fighting anybody. They only fight people at the end. It is weird that we never have any understanding of who the enemy is. 
uh, or why they're fighting. They're the and, MiGs. MiGs bad. Yeah, MiGs, <laughs> right. Yeah. The 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 scary black planes that are shaped like bad are the bad ones. You got to shoot them down. <laughs> they don't belong to any country. Uh, nope. Or there's no politics at all in this world, right. which is a really uh-huh. interesting. <laughs> choice yeah. i don't know if we know the backstory my assumption is like they had to work with the air force and so it was bad politics to like name an enemy right well, it was, but also right. migs are russian planes right yeah right. it was right. also still the cold war like, yeah. at this point so i think it was a little bit like like let's use this sort of anxiety of the past few decades you know but we don't actually have to name who they are we just say like there are bad people out there you know, it makes it sort of more universal uh, in 2022. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, and so so one of the things that you were just touching on there a moment ago, Brian, is like we we get to see inside this kind of crazy world of like jet fighter pilots, right? And like it's always fun when a movie takes you behind the scenes and shows you the inner workings of. Uh, any kind of you know cool thing that most people don't get access to as we're saying they don't do a great job of explaining what the hell is going on but i feel like it's just such cool movie spectacle and just like a jet fighter is like on an aircraft carrier there's just something like mechanical and cool that and lends itself to film when you put danger zone under it and like a montage of like yeah that guy with the helmet he's silhouette he's got to pull the blocks out from the the tires and then there's a slingshot that's gonna shoot this plane into the air it's like there's just something so and you were kind of saying this earlier trisha like absurdly like cinematic and popcorn movie about just this world that it really is fascinating that all you have to do is slap on like a pretty like basic, easy to uh, comprehend character arc, uh, which there is like Maverick yeah. grows. Yeah. But it is, it's like, it's so simple and shallow, but it affords you enough investment to be, uh, yeah, in the movie, scene to scene. And it is nice that they do have those beats, like we were talking about Goose dying, that like suddenly there's like really consequences and like the stakes just like got upped. And that you have the very clear competition with Val Kilmer that's really easy to understand. Like, these people don't like each other. And then at the end, you see Maverick, and he's learned stuff. The The situation he's in requires him to exactly not do the mistakes that he did and the previous training things. And so we're seeing very clearly that he's learned and grown as a pilot, but he still gets to do the flyby at the very end, so he's still Maverick. Like, I feel like all of that <laughs> is like... like totally good and like does does what it needs to do in order to make this a story that has an emotional arc to it well it reminds me of when we were talking about jurassic park michael you brought up like trucks and like (laughs) mechanical things and you were just like there is this basic like little kid appeal to certain kinds of stuff um I think you were specifically talking about like garbage trucks and how yeah. like really young kids love to watch garbage trucks, but like garbage trucks and fire engines and stuff. And those are kind of the coolest like mechanical things we get to see day to day, right? So like a kid is fascinated by those things, but like the day a kid gets to sit in a fire truck wearing like a fireman's helmet is like the best day of their life, right? So I feel like this movie puts us in 
like that mode where it's like, we never have gotten to sit in like the cockpit of a fighter jet in real life. But if we could, wouldn't it be like put on your fighter jet helmet? Wouldn't it be like the <laughs> coolest day of your life if you could do that um, as adults? And I just feel like that's a really, uh, yeah, it's just, it's what cinema is capable of doing, right? That like is able to just appeal to you on sort of a basic excitement level. And what you're pointing out is also incredibly true. Like, this is a really good example of premise meets protagonist because it's about, like, again, it's not about real wartime. It's about, like, just trying to win the the blue ribbon shiny trophy at the end. Um, and it's just like, well, okay, the stakes actually aren't that high, right? It's not wartime. It's not like he has to, you know, take down all the Nazis or something like that. But... If you were the most competitive person ever where losing even a little bit felt like failure to you because of your dad's expectations, um, your dead dad's expectations, which Top Cruise was in an era where he had a few uh, father yep. legacy plot lines happening. Um, but it's just like if you were that guy, then like you might do things that are really rash that would cause the stakes to naturally escalate because you just can't stomach, you know, uh, losing to Iceman. Um, so it's like the design of Tom Cruise's character has to sell us on like, he cannot lose. He feels, you know, what for whatever reason, whether or not we find that reason frivolous, this internal stakes of the character are very high to himself. And so the choices that he makes are not going to be logical. Um, and that's going to create the sort of like perfect storm of like a non-competitive arena. I mean, it is competitive, but like a non-wartime life or death arena, it's still going to make the stakes really high because of the protagonist's flaw. So it's really wisely approached in that sense. And it doesn't need to be complicated, right? It's like, hey, if we're going to tell a story about Navy pilots just trying to be the best at, at school, <laughs> then, then, maybe, then maybe what they need is to be the most competitive schoolboys in the whole world. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we get yeah. that from the design of Iceman also, which is like exactly. he is basically just another maverick, you know, and he's like very cocky and everything. But he's also right. You know, he says it's not your flying, it's your attitude. He's like, it's you're great at what you do. You just have to not be the, the the human that you are. Right. And it's one of those movies where it's like the antagonist is not the bad guy. The antagonist is just the person who is not the character that we are following by the design of the plot. Right. The design of the plot is here is your protagonist. Da, da, da. But it's like this very well could be Iceman's movie where then this this, you know, hot shot shows up and he is like such a wild card and everything and like he's threatening us whatever like i like movies where the antagonist is just basically also right just in a different way and we're like but i guess we're supposed to root for this guy because they're the main character one thing i'm excited about in the new top gun top gun maverick is just seeing how the dog fights and the aerial photography is is being done now you know with our because I think it's all being done still a lot of practical stuff is being done in the new movie. It's like a big part of the marketing is we are strapping cameras to Tom Cruise's plane. Uh, and I'm curious to see uh, if the coherence of the action scenes, uh, I could, if I can follow them more in, in this new iteration, because I think that was one thing that was also difficult for me was I wanted to understand 
the action and you know where is Iceman? Where is Maverick? Why is this a problem? This is happening right now, and I think just limitations of technology. If you're if you are shooting this all practically in 1985, 86, like you know, it's hard to get the shots you need to form a super coherent like picture from start to finish in these aerial scenes. Um, and and I think it's 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 overall a really difficult challenge. How do you shoot? planes moving super fast just like in the Mm -hmm. air with like not much even visual data around them to orient you to their like relative location with each other um i'm really curious to see how the new movie addresses that and tries to like bring it into our expectations that we have now as moviegoers we have cgi that can just like make the exact shot you need for the information that the audience requires um Anyway, I, I, I felt myself in this movie wanting to be more engaged in the action scenes and really appreciating the practicality of them and yet not feeling like, like I could track what the shots actually meant because of all the difficulties I just laid out of like, how do you show time and space just like if the sky is your backdrop and there's fast moving objects? This is one of the reasons I love the aviator martin scorsese's the mm. aviator where there's like a whole sequence in that where uh you know leonardo yeah. dicaprio was trying to shoot a movie about airplanes and dogfighting, and basically what he, he they shoot a bunch of film and it's like they're using real stuff uh real planes and all, all that stuff but you can't tell that anything's moving quickly because there's nothing in the background it's just sky and so he has this epiphany of like, oh, it's got to be clouds. We need to shoot it against clouds. So you can see like some have, have some kind of frame of reference. And it like works fine for, you know, 1930s or whatever that was. But that is such an interesting challenge that I've also been thinking about. I was also thinking about Star Wars because I think Star Wars nice. like space dog fights are, are a similar challenge. And I think that's why the exciting uh, space battles are always like, on the surface of a Death Star where you can fly down and there are things moving past and all this stuff. And so I'm I'm also very curious for this new movie because it is like planes moving fast are moving through a space where there is no frame of reference and it is very hard to create that sense of speed. Um, and that's why I think if you have played a bunch of flight simulators, you can appreciate what's happening and a much more visceral. Uh, yeah. Like, see, I, I feel like I was not, my brain was not trained to understand the like right. the logic of it. And, and I think it's not just speed. It's also just uh, the connective tissue from shot to shot. If you, if you've sure. gotten a bunch of B roll of planes flying fast and, and there are key moments where like, okay, I, I know there's a key thing happening here. These planes are splitting apart or coming together. That makes sense. But when you cut from the cockpit to just like, flybys it, it's hard to to stay oriented or stay in a scene it's also a little bit of a tony scott directing thing you know or i guess editing thing uh not that he's the editor but like a lot of his movies just have that sort of like here's this shot and then here's this other shot and now we're moving on to the next scene you know like even some of the dialogue scenes it's like wait that person that person's leaving the scene i don't think the scene's over yet it's like what's going on there's just like a little bit of frenetic editing and i I really felt that the first time i watched it and then when i watched it the second it felt sort of a little i could kind of get on board with a little more yeah and well and i think for for the time period like i was watching it and i was really impressed because i was like how do you shoot this like for the time period i mean a car chase individual shots were impressive like yeah yeah like 
just shooting a car chase, like anything, anytime you're shooting with a car is super annoying. Uh, Alex and I shot a car chase in downtown, uh, like, like by UCLA, basically like on a Wilshire Boulevard, like late at night, 10 years ago, over the course of like two weeks, it was dumb and weird. Um, but like, should we, should we say that publicly? <laughs> it's just probably illegal. Uh, it's, I think the statute of limitations is okay for <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but just like you don't really appreciate the logistics that go into like shooting a moving vehicle until it's like, right. OK, everyone needs to be choreographed. This is everyone pulls out. And then at this time, we're going to do this move and the camera has to be in this point. Ah, we messed it up. OK, everyone reverse or drive right. back to your starting point. Do it like there's so it's so labor intensive. So then take that into the sky with airplanes that are going hundreds of miles an hour. Like, how do you? shoot that so i was impressed by how much great content they were able to get even if most of it did have to be did have to rely on editing uh to do that connective tissue work which is a little unfortunate but viscerally i think still gets the the emotion across another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And it should be pointed out that a lot of the like emotional investment, like exciting uh, feeling is generated by like basically just the experience of watching and that's controlled as you just pointed out Michael by editing so it's like if you tell me the planes are going fast and you try to show me that well that's fine I might be able to tell that they're going fast or I might not but if like the sound goes right like right across the screen and then also somebody goes jesus right like that in the cockpit where someone goes by them well then oh okay okay i believe you went really fast right by that plane because i heard it and then somebody else on the screen told me they went really fast right by you and so that's just what editing does right you cut to somebody in the cockpit having a reaction you cut to, in the sound editing and sound mixing is incredibly important here especially for those aerial scenes and this movie was nominated for oscars for sound mixing and sound editing um, and I think like that's part of the reason that you're able to watch those dogfighting scenes at all is because of the editing um, and the sound. Because like, you know, when I think back to and, and again, you know, I, I'll I'll be the first person to admit that I'm not always tapped into like what a shot looks like. But the experience of watching it, I'm never struggling to orient myself. I'm just accepting what I'm being like you know, shown in terms of editing and sound and, and story with in terms of characters, reactions and things. And it's really wise. It's always wise to cut to or a character who's reacting to what's happening around them because that signals to us how we're supposed mm -hmm. to react. So, you know, when Goose is going like, no, Mav, this is bad. This is a bad situation. I'm like, oh, my God, it's really bad. Look at all of that. It's turning <laughs> so bad because I just didn't believe what I'm being told. Um, and I think that's most audience members. And so it's like really basic writing, editing um, theory is to just like tell us how we're supposed to feel by having a character express it to us. But this movie uh, leverages that to great effect during those sequences, in addition to also shooting incredible stunt flying 
in the most dynamic way possible and then cutting it together right in a really, really smart um, and fast moving kind of way. Tony Scott way. Mm-hmm. In a yeah. Tony Scott way. <laughs> well, yeah. And it, it it is nice that it's, you know, there are two people in the cockpit so that you can have like the pilot, yep. like right. there's a, there's a character dynamic happening within each plane. And so then there can be very complex character dynamics happening when there's just two planes flying around and, you know, the different, the R, the Rio, which the, the, whoever the person is in the back is, they call them the Rio. And oh, I yeah. never understood yeah. what that was, but I had subtitles on this time. <laughs> but so like, yeah, the relationships between them, they're trying to get the pilots to do something. There's, there's a power dynamic there even of like, my life is in your hands. I'm here and I trust you implicitly, but Maverick, we're running out of gas. So we need to do something like there is, while the planes themselves are like zooming around and like maybe hard to follow if you were to just like point a camera, a wide camera at it and see, you know, what they were doing, mostly flying straight or whatever. Within each plane, there's like a stage upon which lots of drama can happen. And between the two right. planes, there's lots to mine there. And and I'll say, you know, the the scenes where I didn't care that I couldn't follow the visual trajectory were the scenes when I understood what was mm-hmm. happening. And when I knew, oh, like they're running out of fuel, they have orders to come back. Maverick is disobeying to help Cougar get back safely. You know, I don't care that that shot of the plane doesn't connect to that shot of the plane. I'm engaged with that story. It's a part of it. Probably the disorientation I'm pointing to is is story disorientation, which comes from the first time viewing where I just wasn't tracking everything. But it, it's a really good point that, you know, visual. Yeah, you can get away with some visual disorientation and quick editing as long as your audience is following the emotional story beats, because exactly. that's what actually matters. And yeah, I, I wasn't really worrying about any of this in that opening sequence when I was with the movie 100%. Um, it's a good example of like story trumping. Right. Style. Yeah. I remember when I tried to watch the first episode of House of Cards like three times and I was just like, I don't know what any of the politics are because I'm just I'm just really bad at that. But I'm like, but I know she's going to do something and she really doesn't want it to happen. <laughs> like, OK, so who am I rooting right. for? I like what which characters do I like and which. So, I, OK, so I guess I don't want whatever the hell they just said to happen. Right. And you get a lot of that in this movie, especially when you don't know the plot too well, which is just like. I know that like this is what I want to happen, even if I don't understand exactly what's going on yet. This isn't a complicated movie. It's just very frenetic and it's very hard to <laughs> follow. And it's like anytime a character shows up and says in just a dialogue scene, like, all right, boys, we're going to go. We're going to go, you know, hit the flipper and then we're going to upset the jibber and it's going to be expensive. <laughs> like, wait, what? I don't. OK. And then like we're on to the we're on to the scene. Like, I guess get the, hit the right? flipper, I guess. <laughs> yep. Well, speaking of like techno babble and like scientific stuff, can we talk about Charlie and Kelly McGillis and the whole love story? Wait, how was that a segue? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was my attempt. She's an astrophysicist. She's an astrophysicist. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. How did it strike you as a first time viewer, Alex? <laughs> Uh, I mean, it just struck me the same way so much of the movie did, which was kind of like 80s delight. (laughs) Just like if she feels like very much a like there is this character, there is this thing of the babe who turns out to be also like the top scientist. But also you still get to sleep with her. (laughs) 
but it's complicated because your peers are, you know, so she fit into kind of like an 80s, 90s archetype that I, I think had experienced before. Uh, but I just found it, it was just part of the delight of the movie to have moments where she, she, she like intentionally didn't praise his like hot moves <laughs> during the presentation because <laughs> she just loves him so goddamn much and she can't like reveal it. Just, just, I just really appreciated <laughs> just how pure, how pure it all was. Yeah. That was the, the one moment during this watch through that I had the same kind of thing that you were talking about, Alex, of like, wait, did I miss? Like, I'm so disoriented. Did we skip 10 scenes when she fell for him? Cause I, I don't remember watching that part. That led us from that to like her being upset at how much she cares about him and that she's risking everything. I mean, there are a bunch of scenes where like you think they're going to kiss and they don't. And like that, you you get a lot of mileage with that. Right. Where it's just sort of Tom Cruise leaves her house after like hanging out for a long time. He's like, I'm going to go now while she's like laying on her shower. Then I'm going to go. Right, um, I'm gonna shower. <laughs> lots of talk about showering. Um, in, in fairness, everyone seems really sweaty. Right, he yeah. just came from playing volleyball, so he like he probably stinks. Because like half the time, I wasn't sure. Like, wait, I thought you just showered. Why are you all wet then? If you haven't been. <clears throat> well, I was. I rewatched like the middle act of the movie today, um, just to remind myself of it. And the love story in particular feels like it was rewritten and then like you know we know that there were reshoots and they like threw some scenes in that weren't originally in the script and so for example the elevator scene where they encounter each other in the elevator and she's wearing that ball cap and then like people get on and off and they like almost kiss again and then they don't um people get on and off all right uh (laughs) and then um this the like actual sex scene was also like shot later wasn't originally they didn't have it in the original cut of the movie and they felt like that was a missing beat um <laughs> tongue silhouette yeah. the scene. i mean yeah i guess you need to convince us tom cruise's character is straight <laughs> well i i went and watched on youtube the like quentin tarantino uh yeah, like yeah, theory yeah. theory about top gun which is great yeah it from, is from, from um, some movie where he gives like a speech about it. Yeah. Um, but it is like the love scenes and the whole like romantic arc do feel like they were probably like the last thing added and maybe the thing that was like not quite um, balanced with the rest of the story or like fits into the rest of the story. Right. Because she really has very little to do with Maverick's arc. Like, Nothing about her relationship with him changes him. The things that change him are flying, his relationship with Goose, his relationship with Iceman, his relationship with uh, Viper. Um, Right. Those guys are the ones who, like, push him through his arc. And then the experience of going through the training academy, that's what changes Maverick. Being in a relationship with Charlie changes absolutely nothing. Um. Which is not to say I hate it being in this movie. I do not. I enjoy it being in this movie. Um, And I do think there's like, it's arguable that um, in the Meg Ryan's character, Goose's wife, there's a really interesting parallel happening that that does feel like it sort of fills out and informs Maverick's arc, even if it isn't directly tied to what, what ultimately changes Maverick here. But it's interesting in the middle act, those scenes that we're talking about, there's a bunch of them in a row 
that don't feel like they're doing anything else. They're like only doing, we're flirting, we like each other. Next scene, we're flirting, we like each other. We're, Next scene, we're, we're almost flirting, gonna kiss, we like but we're not. Other. We're almost gonna right. kiss, but we're still not. We're almost gonna kiss, but we're still not. The time like dilation or like <laughs> time distortion, where it's like, how much time is passing? Like, where are we? And like, is there a Top Gun like year? Like, is it Hogwarts? Like, like how much? Yeah, I don't know where I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so yeah, there's the scene where he's sitting in class working on math, I guess, where he's like working on paper and she's like, well, that's too aggressive. And he's like, okay. And then she le- drops a note on his desk and is like, right. okay, meet me at my house. And then he goes to play volleyball. That scene has nothing to do with anything, but it's great. Uh, then he goes to her house. They talk for a long time. Yeah. Then he leaves her house. The very next scene is he gets on the elevator. The They flirt again. The very next scene is she criticizes him in the other class now. And then, and then the very next scene is that she chases him in the car. And then the very him. next scene, it's just like, there's like it's literally five scenes in a row and there's nothing that happens in between truly nothing that happens in between i also love that she like dangerously like does a car chase like almost <laughs> crashes almost causes right. accidents to chase I him like down that. to tell him that she but anyway just going back to like him. we talk a lot about scene efficiency and it's a it's an example of those scenes are not being as efficient as they could if they were interspersed or if they had managed to find a way to tie the subplot about the romantic storyline in a little more closely into the rest of the plot line, it would feel like those scenes are more eventful. Like, okay, they're flirting. Also, this other thing is happening in this scene or this other thing is happening for the character. And it's not to say that that's bad screenwriting, right? Like those scenes are, are doing something right in the scene where they're talking at her house. We do hear the story about what happened to his father. Um, And like that ends up becoming a meaningful part of his arc later when he finds out the truth about what happened to his father. And so those it's not like those scenes are doing nothing. And it's also not like they're boring to watch. Right. Right? Right. Like you pointed out, there's a car chase. There's a motorcycle. (laughs) There's like, right. It's it's fun to watch the two actors together. Yeah. Yeah, they're great together. So it's not bad writing. It's just like not as efficient as it could be. Um the way again the way that we like sometimes talk about scenes that are like relentlessly efficient where they're doing five things at once yeah i mean i think you know talking about whether this movie has a theme or or is bothering to try really right and i think that a lot of movie themes are hey you know the way you thought the world was protagonist it's actually this way right like that's sort of like how you know what a protagonist arc is and how the theme is sort of constructed around that arc or vice versa um And I think that like a lot of the scenes in this movie, whether they are in flight school or whether they are uh, between Maverick and Charlie are, hey, buddy, like I get that you think that you can just do this, but really it's not that simple. And it's really more about like um, learning how to learning how to be part of a team and learning how to be an adult and talk to a woman like a yeah. like a grown ass man because um, i mean we've all in our 20s sang acapella to someone at a bar and they were like come have a drink um but uh you know 
Yeah. I'm like so sure. mortified yeah. for her when that scene starts. That's a, that's a horror right. scene. Like watching yeah. it, I was like, oh, this he is He follows a- her into the bathroom. Into the woman. Wait, yeah. he followed her into the bathroom. Like, what is happening? And she's happening? like, yep, yeah. I, I knew you would. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Like, that's like obvious. You can you also tell how time. hard JJ was trying to make Star Trek Top Gun. Right, where it's like the cool that. guy yeah. riding to the Big academy time. with the, on his motorcycle in his shades, and then he meets the woman at the bar. But then the next day, he's like, "Oh no, she actually like I work with her." Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, yeah. as you were saying, Trisha, the like Tom Cruise and his dad issues of like, there's a whole lot of few good men going on here, which is oh, like Tom yeah. Cruise. Like, it's like it's a military movie, but they're not actually. It's not a war movie. And then he's under the shadow of his father's reputation. Kelly McGillis and Demi Moore's characters kind of feel a little similar. Meg Ryan is here and she's in the next Rob Reiner movie. Someone says, I'll have what he's having. You know what I mean? Like there's a whole lot of, (laughs) a lot of crossover here. God, what a like Tom Cruise's like early career was just like, it's pretty impressive. Just the number of just like back to back to back to back Mm. of. I was say his current career. (laughs) Right. It just, it basically has never stopped. Uh, Like Rain Man. Few good to be fair, his current career is. Remember all those movies from my early career? I'm doing them again. <laughs> True. Yeah. I'm still doing them, yeah. but like, like really yeah. doing them. I do love what you said there, Brian, about how scenes you know that aren't necessarily plot related to like the the competition for who's going to be Top Gun or whatever. That there are still little beats of like, but you can't do that, Maverick. Right. Um, in kind of every scene. And I'm just even just thinking about like um a lot of the scenes with Charlie, like when he comes in and he's like all sweaty from playing volleyball and he's like, I'm just gonna take a shower, like if you don't mind. And she's like, Yeah, I do yeah. mind. I'm hungry. Like, even just little beats like that, and and he has to listen to her, right? He's in her house and like in another version of this movie like she just goes yeah sure and then he goes and takes a shower and the next time we see him he's clean they're eating and so she just waits for him right he takes a but shower slow-mo that- over take my breath away and then <laughs> <laughs> right. he comes out in a towel yeah not wearing a shirt. sure yeah I mean, it's amazing towels. restraint to have somebody need to take a shower and to have Tom no Cruise need to take a shower. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but it's it's as you're pointing out, Brian, that there are these little moments of like, you know, when he speeds off on his motorcycle and is like, sorry, what? I can't hear you and just leaves. We're expecting that to be the end of that scene because Maverick gets his way. Mm. Right. The whole kind of mm. idea of the movie is that Maverick gets his way. And and the construction of her character, while it's not super complex, is in direct enough opposition that it does, you know, sort of load these scenes with enough conflict that kind of drive out Maverick. You're not going to get, get your way in this relationship all the time. Um, and that's great. Like, again, it's just, it's, it's good, basic. Like this is the imperative of the screenwriter is to make these scenes entertaining. And in order for them to be entertaining, they still have to be, there still has to be conflict. There has to be tension and it kind of has to drive at the character's flaw. And I would argue that's also how he defeats the antagonist, which is not the evil planes. It's Iceman. He defeats him, quote unquote, by learning how to let go of his own ego and become part of a team. And then, you know, you can be my wingman anytime. Right. Like that's that's why we that's how we get what we get at the end of this movie is not about there are bad guys. We have to kill them. It's about here's a flawed character and he has to learn, you know, how to fix his flaw. And that is coming through. In all the Top Gun stuff and in all the Charlie stuff. Right. Yeah. 
And we get a nice, aggressive, like, <laughs> hug between them. Like, we the hug with our fists. You. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, well, and so that kind of dovetails into my lesson, which is like a mini lesson, so I can kick off lessons stuff. But I was just thinking about the flyby, uh, and like I really I wanted to cheer at the end of this movie when he does the final flyby, and like the music's playing and a. Uh, and it's, it's just an example of like a, a little like moment that is imbued with meaning and has even like a little bit, like a couple like story beats attached to it that are reinforcing different phases in Maverick's arc. And so we see him do it early on. It's characterization of like, look at this guy, this crazy hotshot. He flies by and it's super annoying. He does it again. Uh, and he gets into super trouble and it's starting to do that thing of like, you are not allowed to do whatever you want, sir. And there are going to be consequences to your actions. And he's even like, yeah, maybe that flyby was a bad idea, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and so I I like that it it's there and then it can come back in the end with like renewed meaning where he has made this transformation. Like you're talking about Brian, where he's like, let his ego go. And he's he's become even more disciplined than Iceman and beat him at his own game kind of. Uh, but that it's there in that final moment that's like, but he's still like Maverick. Like he's still got that heart to him. It's, sure. it's like it's that synthesis of things. And it's just such a fun uh, like mechanic to express that, right? It's a it's a jet fighter flying by a tower. It's supersonic. Like it's just cool and cinematic and epic and fits into the story world, but is also uh, a tool to do a little bit of like emotional character work. And so it's it's an example of being kind of extra efficient with something that could have been a, a one-off moment uh, that never came back. So anyway, the flyby makes me cheer. It's just a really smart way. It's like a symbol in that way, yeah. right? It's just a yeah. condensed like, here, check in here, check in here. And then you have the, yeah, yeah. the thesis, antithesis, synthesis. Yep, exactly. Trisha, what's your lesson? Um, it's T-Rex. Thank sorry, you, Michael. Sorry. <laughs> <clears throat> Call sign T-Rex. Too close for missiles switching to lessons. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I... God, there are like so many lessons I want to get into in this. Um, but I guess the main one is about Goose and just Goose's family. And, you know, if you're planning to, to have a character die that has to, you know, signify the stakes and create the crisis. It's, I don't know if Goose was reverse engineered <laughs> from that point. Maybe he was, right? Um, but the rapport that Goose and Maverick have and the sort of like history that's built into their relationship is really crucial, right? And so like, because we have to care about Goose, we absolutely have to care about Goose in order for this movie to exist. Um, but at the same time, he can't overshadow Maverick. 
And we also have to see what he provides in their relationship and like get invested in their relationship. And so like all the little moments of interaction, obviously there's beautiful performances here. Yeah. Um, Anthony Edwards is great. Oh, he, Anthony Edwards is amazing in this and and just he and Tom Cruise have like amazing chemistry. Um, but it's just those little moments of the way that they talk to each other and the way that they interact and the way that they seem to see each other um, where there's, it starts, you know, even before, like, you've got that love and feeling, but even that scene creates that little mystery of, like, oh, she's lost that love and feeling. He's like, no, 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 Mav, come on. Um, even that kind of, like, what are they going to do? This is something they've done a lot before. It's a scene that's doing the function of we're going to hit on this girl at the bar, but it's also doing Maverick and Goose relationship stuff. And the movie never misses an opportunity to do Maverick and Goose relationship stuff. So going back to the volleyball scene, like it doesn't do anything in terms of plot. It does some stuff, though, in terms of Maverick's arc and Maverick and Goose have like, I think it's five high, low five thing that they do. Um, but it cuts to it <laughs> repeatedly because, again, it's doing, like, Maverick and Goose relationship stuff. And the best scene in, like, or one of the scenes that people remember most about this whole thing is when Goose's wife shows up. It's Meg Ryan. She's amazing in the, like, three scenes that she's in. Um, she's so much fun, but her relationship with Goose um, reinforces, again, this history piece. It sells us on the history piece. We see how comfortable she and Maverick are together. Like, where she's telling, you know, telling Kelly McGillis, telling Charlie, like, oh, man, like, he's, I I know about this girl, I know about this girl, I know about this girl that Mav dated, and I just love him so much. And, like, um, you know, he and Goose are, like, best the best of friends, but, like, he's so gone on you because I know him that well. I can just totally tell that he's totally in love with you. That scene is doing so much character work towards all the characters. And it sells us on, like, again, Mav and Goose. That's what you have to sell us on. And also just, like, Goose's life matters. So there's those, the scenes um, with Goose are so well integrated into this movie or the little, like, moments. A lot of them are famous. Like, I feel the need, the need for speed. It's That's, like, the most famous one, but they... It's an inside joke, right? It's a, a just like with you've lost that love and feeling. We don't know what they're going to do, but they know what they're going to do. There's a rapport going. Um, it's just really well written. Uh, and I want to say well observed. I don't know if any two people in the whole world are really like this, but creating, but it's a good study on how to create characters with history, believable history, and like a good, just a great dynamic to them that we can easily get invested in. It's how yeah. to write friendship. If you want to know how to write friendship, yeah. study Maverick right. Goose. Yeah. I'll just riff off of this because this is also my lesson, which is just you know, the design of Goose was so, out of anything in this movie, that was what, what I really latched on to as like, oh, wow, like that was a legitimately great best friend character. Yeah. Where like the whole movie, I understood exactly why the relationship mattered. The history you're talking about, Trisha, was so evident in every scene between between them, and especially yeah, with Meg Ryan showing up. They're all like one big family, which is like really smart. Yeah. You know, like, I wouldn't have thought to do that necessarily, but that that just imbues so much love and like they're like brothers. You know, they're not just friends; they're they're like family. Yeah, uh, and and I just think yeah, you want you want that Sam and Frodo that like <laughs> we're almost 
like related kind of feeling in these kind of like brothers in arms. Uh, and that's what makes it genuinely sad and genuinely like traumatic when Goose dies because that has been established so well by that point in the movie. Yeah. So, yeah, this movie does do that very, very well. Yeah. Uh, my lesson is tied to this, which is about the stakes of the world. Um, so which obviously Goose is very, very closely tied to um, because this movie is a movie about training, right? Like it's a movie about flight school, not flight school, but you know what I mean? Like, like um, uh, air combat flight happening thing, training school. school, school. Right? Yeah. I think <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, the that's why they call it Top Gun. Right. Cause you don't want to say the full name. <laughs> and, uh, but there's a movie called Tigerland uh, that Joel Schumacher directed with Colin Farrell. And it also takes place during training. And it's such an interesting choice uh, with both those movies, because it's like, well, we could say, oh, we're in battle, right? Like there are enemies and we're the, but no, we are saying this is a movie about training, but what the first scene does is it establishes the stakes of this story world. So with Cougar, um, you know, freaking out and basically quitting the Academy because uh, he's just like, no, it, it got too intense for me up there. And that opening scene shows you this is real. Like it's not just, Hey, you know, we're, um, we're training for like some weird thing where there's no, nobody's life could be at stake. Right. It's like, no, no, you are up there. You're flying planes. And then of course, as we start to see in the movie, like, and then enemy aircraft can come into the field. Right. And then we have to deal with them too. So like your life could, could really, really be at stake. So then when goose dies, it feels like that is a normal circumstance in this story world. It doesn't feel like this is some crazy happenstance thing that just happened like a freak occurrence. It's like, no, this happens. Like, I think even Tom Skerritt says like, this happens every couple of years. You know what I mean? Like, it's like kind of intense. He's right. like, you just got to get over it really quick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, well, this thing is best friend. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I just appreciate that the opening scene establishes those stakes really well so that we don't feel sort of cheated or like it was just convenient when when the stakes actually do do what they do to goose in uh, you know at the end of the second act yeah yeah absolutely <clears throat> i yeah i think we've definitely covered that i that, that goose is like the heart of this right. film and i feel yeah. like it's like this movie doesn't work without goose for all these reasons that we're talking about as you pointed out trisha i feel like goose is the reason like Goose and Meg Ryan are the reason that I buy the love story ultimately with Tom Cruise and Kelly mm. McGillis of like, yeah. oh, well, if Meg Ryan said that, then like, OK, I, yeah. I buy it. <laughs> then. Sure, sure. I'll recontextualize the rest of uh, my memory. Um, and it is interesting. Another thing that popped in my head there was that the, the volleyball scene, the one thing that it maybe does uh, character wise is like Goose's egging Maverick on to like, no, we got to finish like one more game and we'll beat mm. Iceman. And Maverick is like, sorry, got to go. Like there's something more important. Granted, that's, this is still just like, it's a selfish act. He's kind of just screwing over his teammate in that. So it's not a, a full, you know, uh, moment of transformation, but it is like lightly signaling that maybe he is becoming less competitive kind of. Um, anyway, grasping at straws a little bit, but I just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> well, I was just going to say a scene that stuck out to me in the movie was the, actually the really quiet scene where Tom Cruise is just like sitting on a couch somewhere 
and it's like night and Goose comes in and there's a really yeah. just brief exchange where Goose, he says something about how like, I just want to graduate. Like, you know, I, I, I'm okay with not being the best. I just want to graduate. And that was a really important scene for me too, that, that showed Goose is there kind of supporting Maverick and all of his crazy Maverick ways. But he personally doesn't need that. Like he doesn't need whatever Maverick needs. He just wants to, you know, live on and graduate and be with his family. Um, so that's also a really sweet and important moment to show like this guy actually kind of is psychologically healthy <laughs> and, <laughs> and it doesn't need these things. And, and it, it kind of puts more salt in the wound uh, for yeah. Maverick when yeah. the accident happens. Cause it's like this, this guy didn't need to win that trophy, but you did. Also, it's a very masterful way to like do the accident where we can tell it's kind of Maverick's fault, but like the court martial and Meg Ryan and everybody else is like, it wasn't your fault, Maverick. But like, it definitely was the result of his ego, but it's not so obvious as like the rest of everything. Anyway, it's just like very. It would have been the easy choice to have it be like he does some dick move and that causes gooses. But then we don't care about Maverick for the rest of the movie. Right. So it's right. like right. kind of it's, it's ambiguous. Right. It really finesses that. It does. Yeah. Yeah. It is like a kind of a masterful gray area where it's like it didn't need to happen. Was it anyone's fault? Well, but yeah. Dalcomer was going slow while targeting, I think. And well, he pulled, well, he should have gotten out of there. And then when he finally does get out of there, Maverick was a little bit close. And so he gets caught in the jet wash, which is an actual thing, which is why airplanes like 737s have the like the wingtip on the end, because that reduces the jet wash coming off the the sides of the airplane i needed to fly more flight simula simulators before i watched this movie that's what i'm learning i just nodded off for a second what was happening <laughs> <laughs> um someone cue take my breath away no i am curious because like in the in the new top gun because there's so much real flying like part of what's crazy about flying is like the g-forces that like yeah you know, the maneuvers when you're going that fast, the G-forces are crazy. G-forces don't look like anything except someone really not moving in their seat. So I'm yeah, curious to see how they uh, dramatize all of that. Um, awesome. Okay, cool. Uh, well, so before we talk about uh, what other things we've been watching recently, uh, going to announce that next week we will be talking about Unstoppable, the 2010 Tony Scott film. <laughs> With Samuel Jackson, Jackson. Uh, Denzel Washington, <laughs> Chris Pine. Right? I think we should. Um, but instead, we're going to talk about... Um, my, my friend, when, we, when that trailer came out, was like, it looks like SNL made like a, <laughs> yes, like yes. a fake, this is the next Tony Scott trailer, like, you know, yeah. skit. Yeah. Alex and I saw that in theaters. It was nice. a lot of fun, actually. <laughs> Uh, Tell the nice people what like we're I'm, actually I talking about. Out. Did you? Yeah, uh, we're actually talking about Contact, the 1997 film. Jodie Foster, uh, Robert Zemeckis directing, Matthew McConaughey, Tom Skerritt again. Oh man, yeah. yeah. Jodie Foster from Maverick. Like it all ties together. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I forgot mm -hmm. about that. Movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's gonna be great. We'll talk about the mirror shot and other stuff from that movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, until then, what have you guys been watching recently? Alex, what have you been watching recently? Uh, so I've been watching Our Great National Parks on Netflix, which is uh, a new uh, nature show produced by some of the people behind uh, the BBC 
you know, like Blue Planet series. Uh, but it's about uh, just parts of the planet that are are actually preserved because of government setting up really big national parks. Uh, and it's it's really nice because, you know, uh, there's kind of a mandatory thing, which is important in, in all like nature shows now, which is look at this great coral reef. It's 90 percent dead now. <laughs> you know, like they, all, all episodes end with like the, the beautiful stuff you just saw is about to all die and like it seems unstoppable or like plastic has now infiltrated this ocean and it's almost dead. This show is about parts of the world where like nature is recovering because they are protected. And so there is something that's kind of uplifting about it where it's like, oh, if we actually did just make large swaths of land wild again, nature is a self-healing, self-recovering system. Um and what helps with the soothing, the soothing quality of it is it's narrated by Barack Obama, mm. uh, stepping in to the David Attenborough role. I think he's he's one of the producers on it. Him and Michelle Obama's company uh, produced it, and it's just yeah, his voice is is his voice, and it's very soothing. It's nostalgic, uh, and it's just kind of warm and lovely to hear Barack Obama, you know, go on a world tour of places that have protected wildlife and are actually helping the Earth to not be dying <laughs> so nice. it's really it's a really lovely it's a really lovely show it's shot beautifully like all the other bbc kind of stuff uh but yeah netflix is i think is trying to pursue you know they've they poached some of those bbc crew people uh to do their own kind of nature series so this is one of many that they're working on i bet fighting every instinct to do an obama narrating a <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't do it. Don't do it, Brian. I'm so curious. Um, that's awesome. Cool. Uh, Trisha, what have you been watching? So, if you, like me, wanted to uh, wash the military propaganda out of your mouth after watching Top Gun, <laughs> yeah. uh, there's a great doc that's on Netflix right now that you can check out called FTA from 1972. It is... Uh, documentary about sort of an anti-USO comedy troupe uh, that toured the Pacific Rim, um, including, of course, Jane Fonda, Donald Sutherland, and uh, an incredible folk musician um, that I fell in love with while watching this named Len Chandler. Um, and then a lot of other a lot of other awesome folks. Um, so I didn't know this, but there was a very um, vocal and not a small uh, faction of GIs in Vietnam who were anti-war. Um, and of course, like the anti-war GI like movement um, was overwhelmingly led by GIs who had no way of getting out of the draft. Um, so often people from poverty, uh, people, you know, who couldn't get a college deferment um, or whatever. Um, so a lot of minorities, a lot of people from like... Um, disenfranchised communities uh, were in the war. They were GIs overseas, um, but they were very anti-war. And so um, Jane Fonda and uh, Donald Sutherland and a, a wonderful other group of comedians wrote a show and then they took it on tour. Um, and this is a documentary about that show. Um, and that show was called FTA, uh, which you could probably guess what it means. Putting it together um, now, yeah. Yeah, the second initial stands for the, and the third initial stands for army. Yep, got it. Um, and the rest of it you can <laughs> put together uh, on your Fun. own. Fun. But anyway. The army. <laughs> well, they have the, the opening credits is like they're singing the song that's FTA. 
and like for, you know, they do the chorus like six times and the first like five times they do it, they go, FTA, free the army. <laughs> um, and then the last one, they sing what it actually stands for. But uh, it, I don't know. I just really fell in love with this doc. It's the The performances are amazing like you get the sense of what it would have been like to go to the comedy show that they were doing it's a lot of music it's a lot of just like sketches um and it it really reminded me of summer of soul in a lot Mm. of ways if you saw summer of soul um from last year it's just great it's uh it's really really great and then they also have a lot of footage from where they like talked to gis anti-war gis um and like just got like on the ground opinions. And also as they were touring the Pacific Rim, they invited like local performers and entertainers. So they invited like Japanese entertainers and Filipino entertainers and stuff to like also do a song or do whatever. And it addresses like everything. It addresses like sexism in the army and racism in the army. And like, it's great. So, and it's on Netflix right now. You can watch it. FTA. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, that sounds Good counterpoint to the Top Gun uh, yeah. army vibes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was feeling like I needed a little bit of that. <laughs> um, awesome. Okay, Brian, what have you been watching? Uh, my, mine is less of a of a contrast. Um, I watched the movie Riders of Justice, uh, which is a Danish film from 2020 starring Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, who, Ooh. yeah, kudos to Mads Mikkelsen. It was like, I did a Bond, I did a Marvel, I did a Star War. I was Hannibal Lecter. I'm going to go back home and make some movies now. I'm just going to going to do my own thing, right? Um, he plays a soldier whose wife is killed in an explosion on a train, like a subway. Um, then another guy who was on the subway approaches him with a theory that it was a mob hit on this other guy who was on the same in the same train car who was going to testify in court against you know whatever shady organization he was he was part of and his lawyer was on the train and et cetera et cetera and like the cops don't buy any of this or whatever so then these two Mads Mickelson and this other guy and two other guys form this like ragtag group of like revenge seekers who are trying to go after this mob and they're like in no way equipped to do it. So it becomes this like weird, it's like kind of a comedy, kind of a drama, kind of an action movie um, about them just dealing with their own sort of machismo and egos and everything, but also like genuinely trying to get revenge about this this terrible thing that happened and it's it's a really interesting movie um and i had a really good time watching it so riders of justice Hmm. nice i've heard i've heard good things about that that's cool i want to see that uh well i talked about this a little bit in our film club chat um that we recently did with patrons but i recently watched tinker taylor soldier spy Mm. because i had not seen that before uh and I ended up really loving it, I think. Like, it's a movie that has stuck around with me. And so it's, you know, this Cold War espionage spy thriller with an insane cast. Like, I knew the cast was good, but like... Yeah. Gary Oldman, Colin Firth, Tom Hardy, Mark Strong, John Hurt, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, like, Toby Jones. Like, there's... Everybody is in this movie and everybody is great in this movie. And it it was a cool portrayal of what i could imagine actual spy espionage work to be like which is 
kind of like mundane and slow. And I don't know, it, it does a good job of portraying this as like, this is a job that people have, but people are also people. And there's interesting tensions that come between, you know, come from all of that. And so in the moment while watching it, a lot of the time I was like, this is really slow and I'm not sure what's going on. And there's some interesting, like they play with time and time jumps and who the main character is can kind of change. There's almost these like vignettes where you follow different people for a little bit of time. But by the end, I just felt like, like I was soaked in it in like a really nice way that was like, oh, I just like, that was very rich and I want to go on that ride again. Um, so yeah, finally saw Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Understand why the people that weren't into it weren't into it. And also understand why the people that were, were. And I think I'm someone that's pretty into it. It's a movie that's like so obviously well made and well acted and everything. And I, I just need to watch it again because <laughs> it was so... It, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's hard on the first viewing. Yeah, it's somehow very dense... So it's hard to follow, but it also feels like it's happening in slow motion, like somehow right. both right. of those things at the same time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Very good description. Yeah. yeah. Um, awesome. Okay, cool. Well, this has been our conversation about Top Gun. I really enjoyed this. Uh, I really enjoyed revisiting this movie, and I'm very excited for the new one. And uh, IMAX, here we come. I can't wait. I know. IMAX, they strapped an IMAX camera onto an F-15 that had Tom Cruise in it, like. I've been waiting for this for years. Like, take my money. Like, let's go. <laughs> Two years delayed. Yeah. Here we are. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, yes. But so this has been a conversation about Top Gun. Next week, we will be back with Contact, which is like one of my favorite movies. Also from this era of me being a child and like discovering the power of amazing like cinema and dramas. And it's sci-fi and there's great performances. Top tier Zemeckis. Can't exactly. wait. Exactly. Theme. Got theme all up and down that. Oh, so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be great. <laughs> um, cool. Uh, we want to say a big thank you, as always, to the patrons that make this show possible. Uh, if you want to help us make more episodes and get fun perks like voting on what movie our monthly patron exclusive episode will be on, head over to the Beyond the Screenplay Patreon. The link is in the show notes. Thank you to our producer, Vince Major. And thank you to our editors, Caleb Berg, Graham Harther, and Eric Schneider. I'm Michael Midpoint Tucker, and I've been joined today by <laughs> Trisha T. Rex Aran, Brian Geezer Bittner, and Alex Bounce Man Cayeros. <laughs> All of our Twitter handles are in the show notes. Send us a tweet and say hi, and we will see you next week for contact. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.